Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 70 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Emily, Sammy, and Josh once again to talk all things Syracuse Orange. We're going to talk Syracuse men's and women's basketball, men's and women's lacrosse, as we have the last few episodes, but a little bit different. We're not just going to break down the games and analyze them, and this is why they won and they beat Wake Forest because of this and the defense was better and blah, blah, blah. We're going to focus on the big picture Will Bayheim retire after the season? We'll give our predictions. And then we'll list several players who I think are the most discussed amongst the fan base in terms of whether or not they will return. We'll talk about the Syracuse women's basketball team and whether or not they will make the NCAA tournament. We will mention, of course, Syracuse women's lacrosse blowing out another subpar opponent. And then uh, go into men's lacrosse a little bit deeper. And what is the biggest issue as they have suffered their third loss in a row? But guys, we will start with the men's basketball team. Since we last talked, they picked up a win on senior night against Wake Forest, which was much needed. Snapped a four-game losing streak, right? Important. But now they've done the celebration 20 years of, since their national championship. They retired the jerseys of Akeem Warwick and, and Jerry McNamara. Now the question is, as we get closer and closer to the offseason, will Jim Beheim retire after the season? and have Syracuse basketball program for the first time in almost 50 years searching for a head coach. Emily, we're going to start with you. Your prediction and your thought on, or your, I guess, analysis on, on why you feel that way. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet Online, where the game starts. I think he stays one more year because he recruited this class of six freshmen, a bunch of freshmen, however many it was. He recruited a huge freshman class, and I have a very hard time believing he brings them to Syracuse just to just just dip the next year. Um, but I do think that next year is his last year, and I think he's going to pass the torch after next year. But I think he sees these recruits through at least one more year. A lot of them had a very rough transition from from college we never saw peter carey and so i think that Beheim sees this massive freshman class through one more year because he doesn't really have that many recruits coming in next year this was really his last true recruiting class right 
Um, I think he he sees them through one more year and then uh, hands off the torch. Sammy, your thoughts? Um, I mean, I don't have too much more to add to there. I really do agree with what Emma said. I think he'll probably stick around one more more year. I think he's going to be more along the lines of Coach K than Roy Williams. He's going to announce at the beginning of the year and get a little bit of more of a retirement tour. Um, I just think that'd be that's just more what I expect from him in terms of how he'd want it to go. I think it'd be a beginning of season decision. Um, and I think that I don't think it'll come out immediately at the end of the season that he's going to do one more. Um, I think it'll take a little time, but um, yeah, I do more or less agree with exactly what Emily said. Josh. Um, you know, they're not a native New Yorker like Vandy over there, but you know, I think I'm pretty good with people and, you know, thankfully, Partly to you, Big Mike. I've been able to interact with JB and just get to, I guess, you know what I'm saying, get a feel for what I think, you know, like you said, his head is at. I don't think he's he's not satisfied with going out like this. You know what I'm saying? He's a very pride, proudful, prideful guy. He's he's been to the absolute heights of this sport in his prime. I don't, I don't, don't, you know, as much sense as it makes for him to go out either this year or next year, I just don't really see him going out on 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 terms other than his, which is, I guess, a tournament team, you know, you know, going out in, uh, I guess, some sort of a similar way that, you know, Syracuse came came in and or looked like when he was at his prime. Because, again, like, we've seen, you know, college legends, college legends look old and decrepit, you know, on the sidelines. But let, let me know the last time you looked at a, a Georgetown game and Patty Ewing looked like he was actually alive. Like, we, as much as we want to talk and criticize Jim Beheim, he looks, he is very passionate. He's still very much involved in this. You know what I'm saying? And like him said, you have a lot of, rec- you have a big recruiting class. So he's still out there, you know, putting in the work. So, as much as it makes, I really don't see Jim Beheim leaving until he gets, you know, back to NCAA tournament. So to your point, um, as far as competitiveness on the sideline, I mean, he has not lost any bit of that fire competitiveness, wanting to win, yelling at players, yelling at officials, waving his hands up in the air, all all of that animated stuff that he's been doing forever. He's still doing. He hasn't lost any of that. Um, but I, I'm going to go the opposite route. I'm actually going to predict that he is going to retire after the season. And the main reason that I think that now, if you were saying he, he, you know, wants to go out on on top, meaning an NCAA tournament caliber team, whatever, that kind of brings me back to, I've had this discussion with, with a few friends of mine and, you know, kind of looking back on it, wouldn't it have been perfect if he had gone out a couple of years ago after buddy Bayheim and him made that, that team made that run to the sweet 16, right? Goes to the sweet 16 with his son, makes an NCAA tournament kind of unexpected to some extent because of their resume, but they get in as a double digit seed, make a little run, beat a couple of really good teams in the process. And we're the talk of the college basketball world for about a week uh, because of the run that they were making and, and how well buddy was playing. And again, does it with his son. I, I think that would have been a fitting way to go out, but you know, didn't work out that way. Here's the thing. Yes, he has that six-man recruiting class that he brought in. Um, you know, some have played more than others this past year. But with the transfer portal, I don't think all six of those guys are going to be back next year. So if you lose two or three of those, suddenly that big six-man recruiting class, it's a lot easier to walk away from because if you lose a guy like Judah Mintz, who decides he's going to turn pro and take his chances, you know, preparing for the NBA, and then a guy like Chris Bell says, you know what? I've been in and out of the starting lineup. I'm going to go somewhere where I think I'm going to get more consistent playing time, and and you know perhaps you know isn't isn't happy with with the inconsistencies of his of his playing time. 
you know, if he goes and then Jesse Edwards doesn't return and a guy like Benny Williams also leaves, now you don't have the all ACC caliber center that you had. You lost your best player in Judah Mintz. You've lost multiple other depth pieces. And even though the transfer portal is there, I don't get the impression that he wants to utilize that to restock the roster as much as probably is warranted in the current climate of what college basketball is. So similar to what Coach K did when he bowed out, similar to what Mike Bray is doing, he's bowing out, uh, Jay Wright. I just don't think that those guys that are a little bit old school like to deal with all of this newer stuff. And so I think because of that, because he did bounce back from a losing season and have a winning season, even if they don't make the NCAA tournament, he coached all the recruits that he promised he would coach when they committed to Syracuse that after the ACC tournament, he announces that he's going to leave or that he's going to retire. Now, here's the other thing to Sammy's point about taking his time. He has taken his time or I guess there hasn't been a formal announcement most years, right? That he's going to return. It's just kind of been assumed, but the transfer portal opens up, I think, within a couple of weeks of the end of the ACC tournament or something like that. So I don't think he, if he's going to put Syracuse in the best position possible for restocking the roster for next season, however the defections play out, he has to announce, I think, one way or the other, I'm back or I'm not, sooner rather than later, so that Syracuse can recruit in the portal in order to find players to fill out roster spots for players that have left. So I think timing-wise, he needs to do it quickly, but I am going to predict that he is going to call it a career, 47 unbelievable years at Syracuse, and everyone can celebrate um, one of the best to ever do it in, in the sport. Now we'll transition to the players. I've got a list of players, and I'm going to go to each person here and give them your predictions on which of these guys are going to leave and which are going to stay. I've got Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, Judah Mintz, Benny Williams, Chris Bell, and Samir Torrance. That group right there. Are they come? Are they staying? Will they be back next season for the 23-24 season? How many of them are leaving? Let's go be- right back to you, Josh. We'll start with you. Again, Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, Judah Mintz, Benny Williams, Chris Bell, Samir Torrance. Who of that group is leaving? I mean, my face, obviously, you know, the, the people listening won't see it, but my face is surprised. I, you have some people on my list did not know was eligible to be on this list. I mean, Jesse Edwards. Jesse Edwards know, and Joe Girard can come back because of the COVID year. Samir Torrance is also, I guess, COVID he year also, as well. Exactly. Okay, so it's like a rapid fire thing. Um, yeah. Me and Vandy kind of went back and forth on this. Uh, on uh, CST, get that we get podcast on Twitch. You feel what I'm saying? I don't. Why I don't understand why Jim Behind would it usher out Joe Girard. Apparently, he's done this before. The guys in the past. Again, I'm not from around here, but from like you said, the little offensive production that you have. Why would you usher him out? I don't so think I, I don't think Joe would leave because Beheim was ushering him out. I think he would leave because he's deciding he wants to take his chances going pro. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells. 
Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. But I, I if if Beheim comes back, he would absolutely take Joe Girard back in a second. Okay, well, okay, I think I'll tell you. Okay, Girard, I'll say come back because if if you're saying that's what he's saying, I just that, that Emily has pointed out. You know, JB does do, do does have this thing of you know politely ex- asking guys to leave. All college coaches do. You know what I'm saying? Penny did it last year with some of his transfer guys. Um, guys we can honestly use off the bench. But it would seem like you said very weird as a team that looks to be devoid of talent, anyways. To ask one of your more talented guys to leave, but if you're saying he's gonna stay, um, I guess I'll overrule Vand on this one. I'll say stay for Joe Girard. Um, I'll, for Jesse Edwards, I never understood the guys that do senior day and come back. That always seems very weird to me. Memphis has a couple guys that do it too. I feel like that's breaking the rules of life a little bit. <laughs> um, but if he, I guess if he has eligibility, again we've talked about his lack of a pro future. Why not come back again? It just seems weird to me that he went through all the pro day, and just had his. Best game ever, it would come back for another year. But if he can't come back, I guess he should come back. Um, Samir Torrance, gone, I would say. Um, kind of incredibly disrespectful, honestly, that A, he's from around here, and B, his brother's coming soon, and he couldn't get more playing time than that. Um, especially considering the kind of need for consistent guard play. Um, yeah, that's a slap in the face. He's probably gone. Um, who else did you say? What was the other six? Chris, other Bell, Chris Bell, Benny Williams, and Judah Mintz. I go lie. The word of the year for Benny Williams is is being resilient because I've observed everybody deserves some of the ways that you know Jim JB has addressed it publicly. Fortunately or unfortunately, I've kind of been in the midst of him being um, addressed, you know, privately and like for that young man to still be around this area. Like I don't know if they got like I don't know why he's here. Honestly, I don't know why he's still here. He hasn't played well. Realistically, he he's not liked by a lot of fans and the coaching staff. Honestly, he doesn't get a lot of playing time for a former high four star recruit. But I feel like if he would have left, he was going to do it already. So I just say stay. I guess by default, uh, Chris Bell, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> like he, I really like again. Theoretically, you would like to have somebody like that back a guy with size. Um, he says all the right things in the press conferences or whatever about his situation with not planning the end, but. A young kid from California came all the way across the country to come to your school. And he didn't play like he's gone. So the lot of schools in California you can play at that'll take him right now. He's gone. So I think that's everybody on the list, right? Judah. Oh, oh, uh, who's the biggest one? The biggest one. Say the best for last. Um, again, I had to pull. I had to pull Tiger Emily apart on my on my show on our show about this same topic, and I think I mean they both presented very interesting arguments. If Judah Mintz cares about being a great college basketball player, cares about winning college basketball games, and I guess maximize his NBA draft, stop. He's going to go somewhere else. Like, it's not even a decision, honestly. Probably can find a base with, a place with better weather, you know what I'm saying? I'll bet. And then, again, just the style that he plays, um, the rapidly fading name recognition that me, Emily, and Tiger talked about, it's kind of like the luster of playing for Syracuse is not really the same as it used to be. And, you know, just you can find a more modern coach to find a more modern way you can play. And, you know, I, we can see – I can see a scenario where you the can go to a team, you know, and become a first-round guy. It's very, it's very it's very, possible. But I don't know. I feel like if this is – if they're going to do anything to really keep any of these guys, it's going to be Judah. He was the four – he was the crown jewel of the recruiting class. He's been the only really consistent guy that you had all year. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be the really – in terms of, you know – in the business side, just consistent wise. Like, he's going to be the guy you put on the season ticket sales. Like, he's going to be the guy that you would market next year if he comes back. So, like, if they have any ounce, G Mag, JB, and the rest of them, like, if they have any ounce of fight left, they 
they're going to keep that guy. So, I mean, again, not, not native to New York, but I imagine Jim Beheim wants him to stay. He's going to stay by hook or by crook. Sammy. Um, so, Gerard, I think, is really – I don't know if he will stay, but I think he should. Um, I could see him playing in Europe. I could see him trying to make an NBA bid and ending up in the G League. Um, but I think if he has NBA aspirations, he doesn't, it doesn't happen right away. So I think if he wants to do that through Syracuse, he definitely could. Um, I think Judah Mintz should leave and pursue a different team where he's allowed, I think, as Josh was kind of alluding to, to become I think the guy that he is to become that first round guy I think he is that type of guy he needs to be in a system um, and surrounded by other quality talent that will allow him to do that um, Jesse I think should go play in Europe I think his game and his build are very well suited to European basketball he can be just that lanky guy um, shoot the ball a little bit I, I mean not from deep but um, actually, he did have one three, so I take that back. Um, Chris Bell and Samir Torrance, I feel like the hardest. Um, actually, not Samir Torrance. He's definitely gone. Um, he was definitely, I think Josh put it well, saying he was a bit disrespected with the amount of time he got. Um, I mean, zero starts at any point during the season. I, I know um that they were giving guard times pretty occupied but justin taylor had one of the worst starts out of anyone this season um wouldn't have hated to see a a, a chance thrown samir torrance's way towards the end of the year when um things aren't going their best after that that four game skid they had um and then chris bell i could i could see going either way i, I understand why josh kind of took the default as him staying um but i think he'd do better if he chose to leave Emily. So I think then this is what we were talking about on, on Q sports talk. I think that Judah Mintz um, needs another year in college uh, because he could be a first round pick. I don't think he's there yet. Um, I think he has to improve his, his defensive game for sure, but just overall as a player, uh, he needs to improve. And the reason I think he should stay at Syracuse, even though I don't think he's going to, is because at Syracuse, you know that you're still going to be that guy. You're still going to be the guy on the team. You don't have that guarantee going anywhere else. Um, especially, you know, a kid like Judah, he'll get offers to go to, you know, blue blood schools, but he won't be that guy for them. He will be that guy at Syracuse. And you'll get the same kind of exposure playing on ESPN a few games a year and playing for a team with the name recognition like Syracuse. So I think that I don't think he's going to stay. I, I think that he'll make the right decision and do another year in college and improve his draft stock because I think he's a smart enough player and kid to know that he needs it. But I, I, I think he will stay in college. It just won't be at Syracuse, even though I think it should be Joe Girard. I think he's gone. Um, I think, I don't know if he's an NBA player. He's undersized. He's not the kind of defender you need to be when you're that undersized. Um, he's just not NBA. But I think he has a career in Europe. So I think he leaves, um, and I think he should. I don't think there's much more for him to accomplish at Syracuse. He's already done a lot. Fan favorite. He's out of here. 
Jesse, I actually am going to contradict um, what Sammy said. I think Jesse stays because what big man is behind him? Um, he, again, like Judah Mintz, he'll still be that guy. I'm not sure if Munir, Munir Hima has any eligibility left, but I think Jesse knows he's 10 times the player that Munir Hima is. Um, and also the kid they've got coming in isn't as good as Jesse and Peter Carey is probably nowhere near Jesse yet. Right. So I think Jesse stays. Um, and I think that he should Chris Bell. I think he's out of here, uh, just cause he, as Josh said, highly touted recruit, uh, and he did not get the minutes that he wanted, but if Judah leaves, I think that might change Chris Bell's mind because no Judah potentially more open shots for, for Chris Bell. Um, but as of right now, I think Chris Bell's gone. Um, Simir Torrance is out of here for sure. Although, wait, no, no, no. I changed my mind. He would have to sit out a year anywhere he transfers because he already uses one time. Um, no, correction. How, he would be a graduate transfer because he's graduated, which means the one year rule does not apply to grad transfers. Oh, oh, then he's out of here. He's done. He's never coming back to Syracuse. He's out of here. Um, and then for uh, who was the last one? Uh, did you get Benny Williams? I did not. I think hot take. I think Benny stays. Uh, yes, he's been Coach Beheim's personal punching bag for the last several years. However, however, I think that he sees his improvement. Uh, it's tan- I mean, you can see it. He are he looks like a better player than he was at the beginning of the season. I think he stays. Um, but he is out of here next year if he does not get the utilization that his improvement warrants. So uh, Benny Williams leads Syracuse to a national championship next year is what Emily just predicted. That's what I heard. So, um, okay. So I'm going to go through each one. Uh, I'm going to save Jesse and Judah for the end. I think Joe Girard comes back. The main reason that I think he comes back is not because it's going to help his draft stock, not because he, that there's a legitimate chance that he has a future in the NBA. Cause I agree with you guys. I think he's a European player professionally, perhaps G league, whatever, but He's going to make more money in NIL at Syracuse than he is going to play overseas. It's, I don't think any of us even mentioned NIL. That's 100%. So yeah. that's something I think you need to keep in mind, I, probably with everybody, but especially with um, with a guy like Joe. NIL comes into play for Jesse because he's an international player, and because he's an international player, the NIL rules are much more complicated. He's not allowed to participate in that at the moment. Now, they're trying to work through that and find loopholes and whatever, but if they can't, then Jesse can't get paid for being a really good player and a highly recognizable person in Onondaga County, and he could do infomercials left and, you know, commercials left and right and advertisements and sign deals, and he would make quite a bit of money, but because the NCAA is really really dumb he cannot as it currently stands um just thought i would throw that in there because i like to take digs at the ncaa so we'll skip jesse and judah for now not always liked on this show i might add not always <laughs> highly spoken of on this show uh side yeah. side note um betty williams and chris bell i think i think they're both gone um i think chris bell would be smart i, I think they'd both be smart to come back but um the one caveat to this, I will say, is um, if Jim Beheim does retire, as I predicted, and Syracuse stays in-house and decides that their in-house hire is going to be Adrian Autry, keep this in mind. Adrian Autry was the primary recruiter for Benny Williams and Judah Mintz. If he's the primary, can 
since he was the primary, he's got a good relationship with them and their families. Can he sit them down and say, I know you had issues, inconsistent playing time, et cetera, you know, as far as Chris, as far as Benny Williams goes, but I'm the head coach. Now I'm going to use you differently. We're going to play more man. We're going to do this. It's going to utilize your talents, et cetera, and talk them into staying. That's sort of a little bit of a wild card. I would throw in there but i'll predict as it stands now that benny and chris bell will both go samir torrance i agree with all of you i think he's going to leave i think he's going to grad transfer somewhere play for one more year and then try to get into coaching because i think he has the potential to be a really good coach a really smart kid knows the game so keep an eye on him down the road as a as a potential you know assistant leading to becoming a a major head coach at, at a program years years down the road Jesse and Judah, this is where it gets complicated. As I mentioned with Jesse, if they were able to get him NIL opportunities, I think it would be um, easier for for Syracuse to talk him into staying. I don't think, as as it stands right now, he would even get drafted in the first or the second round. And I think his his pro future would probably be in Europe. But another wild card to throw in there with him. He is currently dating a cheerleader who has one more year left at Syracuse. Can she be the wild card? This is journalism right here. That's right. Can she be the wild card that talks him into staying? And with Judah Mintz, if Jesse comes back, can Jesse talk Judah into staying? Now, a few of you mentioned Judah staying one more year, but not at Syracuse. I think he's either coming back to Syracuse or going pro. I don't think he's going to go somewhere else. And part of it is for some of the reason that Emily mentioned, which is if he goes somewhere else, got to learn a new system, new coaching style, um, new players to be around. And yes, could playing around better talent, better take advantage of of his skill set, perhaps. But what would be the ceiling of him going somewhere else? Averaging something like 16 points, four and a half assists and, you know, two steals a game, which is what he's doing now. I mean, so his main thing is if he puts up similar numbers, but his three point percentage goes from 28 to 35. Now he's a first-round draft pick because he's shown that growth in his outside shot. That's the biggest thing holding him back, in my opinion. As of right now, um, he's projected as a second-round draft pick. I think he would get drafted if he leaves. Um, but I'll predict that he'll he'll take his chances and go pro. But I do think if they're able to convince Jesse to stay, they can have a conversation with Judah and say, if you come back, you're going to make a lot of money with NIL got an opportunity to make yourself a lottery pick. You've still got Jesse Edwards here and we're going to hit the portal and bring in more talent for you at the forward position. So you're going to have even more players to space the floor, allow you to drive, give you opportunities to kick it to the outside a little bit better than what you had. And the team as a whole is going to be better. And I think they can make that argument even stronger. If Bayheim retires, they hand over the reins to, to Adrian Autry, who is the primary recruiter for Judah and can say, come back, be the guy for my first year, and let's show everyone how exciting Syracuse basketball can be again. It sounded like Sammy wanted to to make one last comment before we move on to the women. Just the Judah thing. I still want to say that I think being on a tournament-caliber team, one that's going to be on the national stage where he can do his thing in front of more eyes, would do just as much, if not more, for his stock. Um, and he's going to be allowed to be himself more. Like he doesn't have to shoulder that burden, which I think is going to allow him to play way freer basketball 
um, especially down the stretch because the scoring was so limited for, for bench production in general uh, towards the end of the season that I think having a supporting cast that he can trust and rely on more far greater consistency is, and doing that on the national stage in a tournament, possibly lifting some hardware would do a lot more for him and his stock than I think staying here and doing the same exact thing or maybe adding a point per game and a little shooting percentage. That That is a good point. The risk that you take with doing that is you go someplace where the plan is to utilize you. And for whatever reason, you aren't utilized the same. There's more guards there. They've got three five-star guards waiting in the wings and you don't get off to the best start at Syracuse. You've got a really long leash there. You've got none. All of a sudden you're in the bench and you're not playing nearly as much and your stock plummets. That is a risk. Now I don't think, I think he's so talented that that wouldn't happen. But the other part of it is, you're going to be much much more part of a rotation than being a guy that's going to play 35 minutes a game. A lot of places that he would go to where he would have that opportunity, uh, where he would be in a position where the, there's much more talent on the floor, et cetera. I don't think he's going to be playing the same number of minutes. So, you know, there's there's certainly a risk there. And And what if you get into a place that you think on paper, this is a better fit for me, and you get there, and for whatever reason, the chemistry is just off. It just doesn't work there's there's a lot of risk the grass isn't always greener and there is a history recent and um, long term of players that were productive at Syracuse left because they thought it would be good for their career and were far less productive elsewhere um I would point to Quincy Garrier and Kadari Richmond as very recent examples of that now, while the men's team doesn't have much of a chance to make the NCAA tournament, they pretty much have to win the ACC tournament, and that's not very expected at this point. The women had a golden opportunity to get uh, another quality win on their resume in their ACC tournament game. They played against NC State, a team that they had a nine-point lead on in the Dome earlier this season, entering the fourth quarter and lost by two. And a win there almost would have all but solidified their position in the NCAA tournament field, barring something wacky where a whole bunch of bids get stolen and Syracuse gets pushed way back. But instead they lost by uh, more than 20 points in a game that just snowballed and got away from them. And now their NCAA tournament hopes their fate is very much up in the air. And they sit at the mercy of the selection committee. So we're going to go around the room and see what everyone thinks in terms of whether or not they will make the field um, as things currently stand. Josh, we're going to go to you first. Syracuse women's basketball finishes the season with a loss to NC State in the ACC tournament. Do they make the NCAA tournament? Um, Like you said, I think not to, not to break the fourth wall, but I think realistically none of us really think that they will make it. Especially like that performance so I did the thing with M where I kind of took both perspectives. Um, and I take her, I show her side first because, you know, hashtag is women's month. And I like being positive. Um, she did. She's been saying for the longest that regardless if it's the NCAA or NIT, get into the postseason as a, a first year women's coach and achieving, you know, achieving the matches that you did with transfers, with the jumping competition, should be looked at as a, a outright win nonetheless. And, you know, for the most part, I'll take it. But the pessimistic side of me says, um, a, you had a lot of the same struggles all year in terms of finishing out the fourth quarter. You were very reliant on one player to create a multitude of your offense. What happens when A, she has a bad game, B, she graduates. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff. I think the fourth quarter stuff is kind of concerning to me. You don't usually see a lot of good teams 
good at the first three and kind of collapse at the end. So I want to see that kind of a first year jittery thing, or a kind of unfortunately a thing that we have to track over Coach Legit Jack's career. But um, yeah, they're not in the tournament this year. But hopefully, well, they are in a tournament, just not the one with four letters. Emily. So I don't think that the women make the tournament unless one of the other bubble teams just, and this is unlikely at this point, considering all conference tournaments, if almost, if not all are over, unless one of the bubble teams just monumentally fumbles the bag, Syracuse isn't in the tournament, but they will be a very high seed in the NIT, meaning that they will host pretty much, I'm assuming there'll be a one or two seed in the NIT, which means they'll host every game that they play in until they lose or until they face a one seed if they're not a one seed as it is, which I think is honestly a little more of a win. They'll get to play in the dome um, in front of home fans, in front of a home crowd. Um, I would hope that Syracuse fans get out to support the team in the postseason better than they did in the regular season. Uh, But no, they don't make the NCAA tournament, but I think they could find some success build some momentum going into the offseason in the NIT. Sammy. Yeah, Josh, uh, Josh hit it you know, right on the head. I don't think any of us were going to say they were going to end the tournament as much of a golden opportunity as they did have. It really makes you realize how incredible this time of the year is because of how much of a swing one game can have. A team that would centimeters, inches, seconds away from really locking up. I mean, there were 12... What, 10 minutes away when they entered that fourth quarter and things were looking pretty decent, competitive. Um, they had a chance to really stay in this game. Then you get blown out by 14 points in that final quarter. And it really just sucks the wind out of you. Although I, again, it, it was a little disappointing for me in that one game with the supporting cast. Um, you know, you, you got four stars and double digits and then saw the highest scorer after that at two points. Um, definitely hurt. I was hoping Kennedy Perkins would have a little bit of a better game to follow up the way she playing towards the tail end. Um, but I, I agree with Emily. I think they could go on a pretty solid run in the NIT, but I think that's the ceiling for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. Uh, the So if you look at ESPN's bracketology, they've got Syracuse among the first four out after you know most of the conference tournaments have have wrapped up, as as Emily said. So Syracuse is going to be kind of right on that cut line. Now, there have been teams in in the past in both the men's and women's tournament that have been by all projections in the first four teams out. And the committee has said, nope, we're putting them in and putting in and, you know, leaving out another team that some deem more worthy. So anytime you have human beings making those decisions, there could be politics involved. Maybe John Wildack knows someone in the room and can call in a favor or, you know, as compromising photos of somebody in there and can say, you know, if you don't want these released, you need to put Liet Jack in the tournament, you know, maybe some mafia stuff going on like that. Wow. Who knows? Who knows? Straight right? blackmail. <laughs> Straight blackmail. Right. Um, but here's, here's the frustrating part. If you're, if you're Syracuse, one of the, um, last four buys as listed on their bracketology is Miami. Miami is 19 and 12. Syracuse is 18 and 12. Syracuse beat Miami head to head very recently. So you got a team that you just beat. It's got basically the same record as you. They're safely in. You're not that that's a little bit of a gut punch, right? Cause you feel like well, we just beat them. So why shouldn't we be in? Um, and you know, there's, there's so many games when you look back at, 
Syracuse's season. Um, that NC State, that first NC State game is one of them. Um, they lost at Penn State earlier this season. A Penn State team ended up being 14 and 17. That's not a great loss. But that was a game that Syracuse was um, winning by 18 points going into um, the second half. And they were up by 10 points going into the fourth quarter and lost by 13 because they were outscored by 23 in the fourth quarter. I mean, that. so that's another golden opportunity that Syracuse to get a road win against a, a power conference opponent let slip through their fingers. Um, a loss at Georgia Tech, who's one of the worst teams in the ACC uh, this season. They finished 4-14 and 14 in the conference at the time, had didn't have a conference win, and you lay an egg at their place. Another bad loss. So, you know, that you can look at the numbers any way you want. Ultimately, they've got only themselves to blame because they had multiple opportunities to improve their resume. Didn't take advantage of them for a variety of reasons. So I agree with all of you. I think they're going to be out of the NCAA tournament, but they will be in the WNIT, and it will be great for the program to get back to postseason play after the craziness and whirlwind and um, negative publicity that surrounded the program uh, through the end of the Quentin Hillsman era, and then whatever you want to call what that was last season was just a very strange year. So they can at least turn the page on that, get back to basketball, uh, point to this season as a building block. And uh, to your point, Josh, hopefully this is the fourth quarter thing is not something that uh, plagues them next year. Uh, because if, again, if they go through next year, it's not really an issue in most cases. Then you just figure it's a first year blip. If it starts happening again, especially because there'll be roster turnover as there is all the time, then you start to go, okay, this is not just a one year, that team problem. This is a program level problem. And what's, what's going on here. Now we're going to transition to lacrosse. And we're just going to simply mention that Syracuse women's lacrosse is now six and zero, and they blew out Virginia tech 16 to five. They are still the number two team in the country. And there's really only two teams that are competitive with them right now. It's Northwestern, who they beat earlier this season by one goal in the Dome. So obviously that was a back and forth game and could have gone either way. So I wouldn't be surprised if those two teams end up matching up again um, in the postseason. And then, of course, there's defending national champion North Carolina, who is also beating people uh, left and right, just like Syracuse is. So those are the best teams in the country. It's going to come down to those three, and you know another another fourth team is going to throw in the final four somewhere. Um, but we'll we'll see how that plays out. Not really worth getting too deep into that. Men's lacrosse, on the other hand, I remember sitting here not too long ago. Syracuse started the season three and zero, and we were talking about how good the goaltending looked and the defense was great and the offense was starting to show signs and look year two of the Gary gate era and they're turning things around and it's, everything's great. And they got all this young talent and now they've lost three in a row because they started playing ranked teams, but the most recent loss to Duke felt a little bit different than the other two, the other two, you know, the one at Maryland, it felt like, they had a little bit more motivation because they had recently lost a game they shouldn't have, and they were trying to prove that was a fluke. And it was Syracuse's first road test, you know, it, but it was a close game for most of it. So even still, you didn't feel too bad after that. Then North Carolina comes into the dome and just flat out dominates you from start to finish, basically. Duke comes in, has a number six team in the country, and you controlled the action for 95% of that game. 
there was a 6-0 run that Duke had in the third quarter that other than that little spurt over a couple of minutes stretch, Syracuse basically controlled the rest of the game. Goaltending was outstanding. The defense was pretty solid. Offense was good. And yet you go into overtime and lose. So now you've lost three in a row. What what's the problem here? What what is is was the three and zero start a mirage? Was is something specific here that's an issue that's keeping them from winning these games or being a little bit more competitive in those first two? Josh, we're going to start with you. I guess I'll, I'll uh, give my little takes out the way and let the actually informed people go. You know what I'm saying? So using contact clues, great friends like Emily and Target actually let me know what's actually going on. And just following the theme and, you know what I'm saying, even along in the conversation. Uh, I think I said it before, I can't remember. But at some point, like you said, like talking about the men's team, we talked about, you know, the schedule. We talked about a lot of the talent and measured parts and whatnot. Not that this, um, I guess, is a, we're not calling it, we don't think the sky is falling. But it is a little bit discouraging. Um, even, in, you know, in the beginning of the year, we lost like that, uh, that game in North Carolina. At some point, we have to stop saying these are good, tough, competitive losses, and we need to evaluate how can we, we can turn the tide. You know, like I said, I've seen a list of these conversations. So face-offs, I don't know if that's still a thing. You know what I'm saying? It seems to be the way Emily reacts kind of a thing. But just regardless, and as a sports guy tracking this team, at some point it's, we seem to have kind of given us a narrative like this is a hard charging team. They play some tough teams. And it seems like we almost excuse some losses that we should have examined more closely in the beginning of the season. So, you know, based on the little skit that we're on, you know, and you describing the action, I think we need to take a harder look at this team, truly evaluate, you know, has it meshed? Who are the most talented guys on this team? Is it Spanola? Is it somebody else? And then I think that once we get some more outlined roles, I think that it'll be a more defined team and it'll stop this ambiguity in play and, you know, close losses, but competitive losses will stop being a thing. Emily, your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, I, I don't necessarily think that that three and zero start was a mirage, but oh, I have such a difficult time believing there is not a single player on that roster. Lacrosse rosters are huge. You're telling me there's not a single person that would do better at faceoffs than Rachusa. You're telling me there's not a single one because in that game against Duke, I, I it would take me two hands to count the number of times that Duke got the draw control cleared. And just scored. It, it was it, right. It, their their six zero run was quick because they played make it take it exactly. And they're just there has to be a solution with face offs. There has to be someone else hold a tryouts during practice. Like here, just practice face offs. Whoever put does Josh it, Crawford out there for. I'm about to say I could based on it like I could I could swabble some to get the little ball and I can do that. I could I think yeah. I could be a good candidate for that. For sure. I could elbow somebody. Someone call Gary Gate. Get Josh out <laughs> on the field. But I mean, the faceoffs are just uh, they're they're getting out of control. Twenty-one to nine against Duke. Like that's insane. They won over two thirds of faceoffs. But when you have someone performing at such a high level like Will Mark, and when you have players like Cole Kirst and Jackson Burtwistle going off against these teams, and you're st- when Will Mark makes twenty-seven saves one of the best single game performances in Syracuse men's across history. And you come up short, something is wrong. You have to look at the stat sheet and it is the face-offs. There's, there's no way around it. This team has to get it under control. 21 to nine is unacceptable. And when your goal, when your goalkeeper's making 27 saves and you're still losing those games, it's not fair to them. 
something has to be done. Lacrosse rosters are big. Find someone to do the face-offs that's not Johnny Rususa. Sammy. Um, yeah, face-offs. Um, aside from the first quarter, ah, the, those face-offs were really bad. They, he he lost seven of nine in the third quarter. Uh, he lost six of eight in the second quarter. It was a miracle they were winning um, at the beginning of that game. How many, I mean, we were hearing, I mean, on the broad, I was doing stats for the broadcast and I think uh, John Eads made a great comparison to the blowing up of your phone when a crazy ex just is blowing you up and texting you repeatedly. Um, The way the ball was paying off of every single pipe in that entire dome. Um, Duke, couldn't have been more unlucky at the start of the game. And that allowed Syracuse to develop, I believe it was a five, one lead. Um, so it, it, again, there's a lot of positives to look at when you're seeing Syracuse too, though, they have probably the best extra man offense in the entire country. They have been a pretty impressive extra man defense preventing uh, Duke went zero and three. They're only allowing a 28% conversion rate. Um, to all teams this season, considering the caliber of teams they just played over the last three. It's very good. The opposing teams are seven for 25 this year against them in extra man opportunities. That's really good. Um, I was a little disappointed in a couple categories outside of faceoffs. The main one being ground balls. I thought they were out hustled in a lot of situations. I think they were out uh, ground balls 44 to 27. That's pretty big discrepancy in a game where you need every inch because you're not going to be winning those faceoffs. You need to save and win every possession you can. That's a missed opportunity there. Syracuse has been very good with clears. Um, I think they, they do deserve credit there. I mean, Duke was Duke and Syracuse were both 22 for 23. They're both very good in that category. Turnovers were managed. There were a couple bad turnovers that did turn into um, opportunities for Duke. Um, and you have a goalkeeper you can trust, which is he's had some pretty Incredible performances. He's really good in this game. Um, solid performance against um, other ranked competitions this season. But I think as much positive as there was, can't forget Cole Kirst, four goals. Great game from him. Um, Burt Whistle's really good guy, really good player as well that I think gets overshadowed. Um, and they showed that they can complete against compete against really good teams when number 22 is not having his game. Um, so there is a lot of positives, but I think currently the negatives are going to prevent them from being the best of the best. Yeah, it. it I'm going to kind of pile on the, the face-off issue here, but Syracuse is ready offensively, defensively, and goaltending-wise to compete with elite top 10 caliber teams. They went toe-to-toe with Duke the entire – I mean, again, toe-to-toe leading most of the way – and then Duke goes on their run and comes back and takes the lead. And then you bounce back and tie it to send it into overtime, which shows some resilience. And you're doing all this while losing almost 70% of the faceoffs. And it was the same issue against Maryland. Maryland dominated the faceoff X. North Carolina dominated the faceoff X. The first three games, it wasn't a major storyline because it was basically 50-50 or just a little bit less than 50-50. And Syracuse was so much more talented that keeping it at around 50-50 meant you were going to win those games. But I see improvement on the roster. There's a lot of young talent. They've got a lot of offensive firepower. That's what's holding them back from, it feels like they'd have at least one, if not two more wins with a competent face-off guy. 
And I think ultimately that could end up costing them a, a spot in the NCAA tournament is not having a faceoff guy to allow you to get some wins against upper echelon competition. So they got to figure something out, whether it's uh, Johnny Rachuza all of a sudden becoming uh, significantly better than he has been, whether it's turning somewhere else or whether it's you suffer through the rest of the season and you hit the transfer portal for the top faceoff guy that you can find and you do whatever you can do to get that guy on your team. They, they got to figure something out because it's it's prevented this team this year from, you know, I, I think they're a top 10 team if they've got a good faceoff guy they're they've they've got a lot of talent so it's it's unfortunate that that's what's holding them back but they're gonna have to figure out a way to navigate the rest of the season because the competition is not getting any easier as they navigate the rest of the schedule that'll do it for episode 70 of the believe in syracuse podcast for sammy emily and josh i'm mike McAllister, and we'll see you Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.